All right, welcome back to the Gospel for Life. It is Summer Reading List Program Day. And around the table. Today. I was just going to say, I'm, I'm just, I'm feeling the the absence. Normally, we have a, a special guest in the studio. Yeah, it's just the normal guys. This is just no. bland old us. Bland old us. Pastor Jonathan Van Hoogen and Pastor Russell Herman and, <laughs> and myself, Josh Bells from the Well. Sorry, we're not better looking and, and more attractive, but you have us, and so you might as well we listen. We don't even have good voices for radio. Not really. <laughs> not really. But... Today's show, I mean, the content might oh, make up. This is for this the, is blockbuster content. Yes, I mean, yes. we're coming in before the summer solstice. We're actually giving you an opportunity to build your summer reading list um, near the end of the Gospel of John. The very last verse um, says, "Now there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written." But we have been trying ever since right yep. writing books and and reading books and so we are doing a summer reading list yesterday we began with uh, christian living and practical theology so if you missed that just go subscribe to our podcast the gospel for life today we're going to talk about um just straight up theology straight up theological readings so where do you guys want to begin well you know what i'm going to give you um, i want to give the people a place to even go um to find a book list. Oh, good idea. And uh, and this is if you if you mean better than ours. Ours are not good enough. What do you? <laughs> well, you know, I mean, they, they might forget uh, what we've mentioned, but monergismbooks.com. Mm. They actually have a reader's guide for the Christian life, and if you type in monergismbooks.com, that's M O N E R G I S M books. Dot com. The very first thing that's going to come up is a reader's guide for the Christian life. And so there's there's introductory readings, there's intermediate readings, there's also, you know, advanced readings um, on different subjects. There's, the, you know, you can, you can pick up a, a good list. And it would be a good uh, thing for someone to actually keep in, you know, their, keep around the house so that uh, they go, I want a complete understanding of things. So uh, what will I read for systematic theology? What would I read in the Trinity? What would I read about the doctrines of God? What, what, what children's books would be uh, great ones to have in the house? And so you have a short list of things like that. Mm. Great website. <laughs> I am a big Bovink fan, and there are now three new books that have just been recently translated from the Dutch into the English for the first time. And so those are on my to-read list. Um, one is, uh, so my favorite systematic theology is Herman Bovink's four-volume set. I know that that's not the sentiment of the other guys in the room. I like it. It's a good, it's a good <clears throat> work. <laughs> but they took that four volumes and he reduced it down and um, – that became wonderful works of God, but then he also wrote one for high school graduates, mm. and that is the guidebook for instruction in the Christian religion, and that was just published. Um, so, if you're looking for a shorter, um, more entry level systematic theology, I would I would late recommend gift, what, late gifts to your graduates. Well, That's right. Yeah, if if we're talking summer reading and your graduate is preparing. Yep. Uh, mention that title again. Guidebook for instruction in the Christian religion. 
I do have I I did start to peruse it the other day, and I do have one criticism of it. And, oh, you never have a criticism of anything. <laughs> yeah. And and it's this: it was supposed to be a systematic theology for high school students, and Hendrickson's pu- um, publications made it a little bit academic in the fact that they are going to translate the wonderful works of God because they believe that the, that book it was not faithfully translated. So they filled this book with all of these footnotes where they're referencing how this book interacts with that book. Mm-hmm. And I just feel like it was unnecessary because it's supposed to be an entry-level systematic. Don't make it into an academic book right. let it be what it was and well, so I, I think they they just it creates a distraction for me right. maybe it wouldn't for other readers i'm gonna go off topic a little bit and so like you're not allowed to do that let's just imagine that you you are encouraging your high school student to read a book and that would be one of them that you would read and they're getting ready to go off to college and i you know one of the books that i would recommend for them this summer would be uh kevin DeYoung's book just do something, mm-hmm. a liberating approach to finding God's will, or how to make decisions without dreams, visions, fleeces, impressions, <laughs> open doors, random Bible verses, casting lots, liver shivers, writing in the sky, etc. Liver shivers, I like that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I mean, I mean, basically, you know, the, you know, it's it's talking about settling down and making choices, and 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 seeing those choices through. You know, oftentimes, you know, people. Uh, and this is good for adults as well. We tinker around with uh, you know churches and jobs and relationships, uh, worrying that we haven't found God's perfect will uh, for our lives. Or uh, either that, or we do absolutely nothing because we're just stymied because we are full of indecision, waiting and waiting and trying to figure out what's best. But this is a great book, um, you know, that is going to tell you you know you don't need to know where. Each fork of the road is going to take you. You just need to do something, yeah. and it's a great book. That wasn't off topic. That was totally on topic. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So, um, so for my um, suggestion for uh, straight up theology, I picked up a book here about a year ago called "A Puritan Hope" by Ian Murray. It was published by Banner of Truth in 1971, and the introduction of the book starts out by him telling kind of autobiographically about how he would hear his dad's prayers. He says, uh, my dad would pray for the universal spread and the global triumph of the church for the days when nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore, and when great multitudes in all the lands will be found numbered among the travail of Christ's soul. Now, Murray loved his dad, and both of them are Christians, but he was taught that, um, no, um, the world is just going to get worse and worse and worse, and this idea that there's going to be some revival or some riches of the kingdom being brought in is a product of liberalism. And so he he started like this journey of, of studying what the Puritans said. He asked the question, is there anything in Scripture that any prophecy that has not yet been fulfilled. And so he he landed, and this is what the book is about. The book is about Romans chapter 11. Um, and in Romans chapter 11, Paul says, uh, I ask, did Israel stumble, that's them rejecting the Messiah, that they might fall? 
By no means, rather through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles. And if their trespass means riches for the world, and if their failure means riches for the Gentiles, how much more will their full inclusion mean? And so Paul is hinting at this idea of a future revival in Israel. And he goes on to say near the middle of the chapter where he he actually says a partial hardening on Israel has happened until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in, and then all Israel will be saved. And so Murray develops this idea through history with with specifically the Puritans in view that the future of the world is not all doom and gloom, that God actually still has a major work left specifically with with the nation of Israel. And when I read this book, it, it hugely impacted me because I viewed the end of the world as just getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And right here in the New Testament, we see this, this picture of of great hope that God is not God is not done um, with His salvation, and so this for the Puritans the the practical effect that it had on them is it fueled missionary work, it fueled planting churches, it fueled cultural uh, transformation. Uh, I I couldn't recommend the book more. I thought it was absolutely great. I I don't think we are always exactly on the same page with our views of the end times in the studio is that accurate? i think that's fair yeah okay um but i do think we agree on this that well i think we may agree in this that i think two things are going to happen as history continues to unfold that what you'll see is that evil will get worse and worse and worse and the gospel and good will get more and more glorious and so that as time progresses you'll see greater extremes mm-hmm. Um, of the glory and and progress of the of the gospel and of the depravity of of mankind. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Yep. And I think at least in part that this book is is getting at at some of that. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's for for like our church, you know, believes the Westminster standards. And on question one ninety one of the larger catechism, when when he's when they're going through praying for through the Lord's prayer, says, "What is the meaning of of uh, your kingdom come, your will be done?" And the Puritans said, "Well, this is how we should pray. We should pray that the Jews would be called the gen- the fullness of the Gentiles would be brought in." So, regardless of where they were at on the spectrum, mm-hmm. they believe that there was still a future work waiting. Um, for for God to, I mean, Romans eleven says that they are beloved for the sake of election and for the sake of the Father. So I just found it to be a tremendously hopeful and helpful mm-hmm. book. I know this next idea might be a little bit odd, but I'm going to suggest that maybe part of your summer reading might be to get a, um, some good systematic theology books and read them devotionally. Um, and I would recommend. One for sure, and that is Reformed Systematic Theology by Beakey and Smalley. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was intentionally written um, in an experiential way. And so it's teaching you um, these incredible truths, but hopefully in a way that you can easily see the connection to, to everyday life. Um, so that's the first. And then a new one that I, I just picked up that I have been intrigued by and, and I found helpful is Douglas Kelly. Um, he has a three-volume work just called Systematic Theology. Um, so those might be helpful to just kind of, you don't have to read them start to finish all the way through in one setting. You're, you're just kind of picking away. Yeah. Well, I, I would, you know, along that line, you know, some of us don't have the ability to, you know, maybe they don't have more than a five-foot bookshelf. So in terms of getting something smaller in a systematic, I, I would look at 
R.C. Sproul's The Truths We Confess, which is an excellent book, um, Mm -hmm. and it basically is going through the Westminster Confession of Faith, but he does it systematically. He's interacting with that. The other one would be simply a little bit smaller, but on the same vein by him is Everyone's a Theologian. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Those, two, those two books can fit on your five-foot book, five bookshelf and will be a great resource not only as a read uh, through the summer, but as something that you'll go back to time and time again. Yeah. So this, this next book it is a theology book, but it very much – goes into to practical theology as well. Uh, John Piper's book, Future Grace. Um, now, he wrote this a number of years ago, but this book is is essentially a theology of God's promises, and it teaches us that each promise of God, it contains inside of it a, a, uh, a measure of grace for daily living. So, as we believe these promises by faith, what what Piper teaches is that this grace, it's called future grace, is kind of unlocked, as it were, and kind of released into our lives. A Spurgeon had a, a, a similar sentiment when he wrote that checkbook of faith little pamphlet where he basically said, look, when God gives us a promise, it's like he writes a check. And um, when we believe the promise, it's like taking the check to the bank, cashing it, and releasing the funds. And there's a verse, Galatians 3, 5, uh, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and work miracles among you do so by um, works of the law or by hearing with faith? And the answer is obvious, hearing with faith. When we believe the word, it, it rushes in a supply of the Spirit. I, I sometimes struggle with John Piper, um, and I oftentimes don't get to the end of his books. But one, one of the books on my list is his some have referred to it as magna opus, his book on providence. And so I'm going to give it one more whirl with John Piper and see if I can make it through his see book if you on can make providence. It work. Yeah. yeah, it's about a three-inch thick book. So, <laughs> Well, this has been the Gospel for Life. If you want to review the books that we have suggested, just go subscribe to our podcast, The Gospel for Life. We'll see you next time.